This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning comic book store, Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. And listeners like you, head to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or check us out at Patreon backslash TwoHeadedNerd. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the jolly old ziggurat at Omaha in caverns deep below the snow-covered metro area. It's just for effects. You know how they do it, like the, oh, the, okay. Sorry, the special yeah. where it's like snowing and everything. There's a moloid standing outside the ziggurat window shaking a box of, you know... Dandruff. Dandruff, yeah. It is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 725 of the Two-Headed Nerd comic book podcast, our most festive episode yet. I'm your rosy-cheeked head number one, the internet's Joe Patrick. And I'm your cranky atheist head number two. My name is Matt Bomb. It's time for another back-issue show, and this time our sentient cosmic long box reminded us we do a holiday show every year, and it did that by forcing us to read and discuss eight classic comics based on a theme. I'll bet you can guess. There is no place like superhero comics for the holidays. After that, we'll set you up with our must-read picks for next week's new comics, but now, light the menorah or canara, trim the tree, or enjoy the battle between the holly and oak king for your solstice. All holidays are welcome to this back-issue review time in the ziggurat. Ever wondered what Spidey, Wolvie, Iron Man, or Superman and Batman do for the holidays? Sit down by the fireplace, grab a glass of eggnog, and prepare to find out. Spoiler! It's generally a holiday cash grab like everything else. That doesn't mean we don't love some of them. Joe Patrick, why don't you unwrap our first holiday comic? Sometimes the holidays are an afterthought, as with... Uncanny X-Men 143. Because they're kind of an afterthought in all of the comics I read this year, this time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, this is from Marvel Comics. Uh, 1981 was the year. It's co-plotted and scripted by Chris Claremont, co-plotted and penciled by John Byrne, inks by Terry Austin, colors by Glynis Ween, letters by Tom Orzakowski. It had a 50 cent cover price and its current value, eh, about 20, 25 bucks. Here is uh, your solicit. This is courtesy of Marvel.com. When Kitty Pride is left behind at the mansion alone, she's attacked by a Nagarai demon. Can the newest X-Man handle the villain all by her lonesome? I mean, yeah, Kitty Pride's still alive, so yeah. Well, sure. Before we get into it, quick question. The Nagarai was before the Brood, correct? This was before- Oh, yeah, gosh, yeah. yeah way yeah, before yeah. the Brood saga. Just happens to look- Suspiciously like a brood. Uh, I mean, I think that's, I think that might be an oversimplification. I don't, I think it looks like a demon and the brood have very demonic features. I mean, it's close. It's got the spine and everything and the long fingers and the. No, the know. brood don't have a spine. The brood no, look like flying out. scorpions. I think, okay. I mean, look, we can discuss it later, but I think it kind of looks like a brood to me. Okay. Well, that's fine. But no, they're not, they have nothing to do with the brood. Uh, just shy of 50 issues prior to this, the X-Men had their first encounter with the Nagari, a race of demons that would continue to plague them for years to come, and whose portal to their hell dimension is located conveniently near the X-Mansion. <laughs> Why didn't they just, like, I don't know, dig that up and relocate it somewhere? I, I, who's to say? I don't know. Well, nobody knew. Uh, I mean, this, this uh, no, they a, knew. This Matt, this is the second time they've appeared, oh, and they appear the at least one other time. This is the second time. <laughs> Forgot yeah. about that. Yeah. Uh, fun fact. Thanks to the classic X-Men reprint series from the early uh, mid-80s, that was young Joe Patrick's first X-Men comic. It was X-Men 96, reprinted in classic X-Men number three. And uh, that would have been know. where I read this, too. Definitely. That first time, it didn't take. But hey, wouldn't you know it, one of the demons from that battle escaped and now it haunts the woods of Westchester County. While this is barely a holiday issue, the holidays are only used as a convenient excuse to get the other X-Men out of the mansion. It does manage to deliver all of the melodrama Claremont and Byrne are known for. In fact, 
Claremont manages to sneak at least two brand new subplots into the first 11 pages. Yep. Uh, Mariko Yoshida appears, setting up future Japanese crime drama with Wolverine. And um, Lee Forrester, this pilot that Scott, like, dates in Alaska, is a big thing for a while. Every single thought and action is narrated by Kitty as she tries to stay one step ahead of the monster, which definitely slows things down to a crawl, but Burns' incredible art keeps things exciting. It's very gorgeous. Uncanny X-Men 143 isn't a great example of a holiday comic, but it is a fun little horror story set at Christmas time. And it's a great spotlight on Kitty Pride, who was barely a year old at the time. I'm giving this a buy if we're going by the It's the Most Wonderful Time of the Year song, like whether this is a tale of glory or a scary ghost story, I guess this would count as a scary ghost it's story a second for one, the yeah, holiday. It's a second go- I mean, it's basically a haunted house story. <laughs> yeah. I love John Byrne's art, and it's great here. I don't love Kitty in this outfit, and he draws her like she weighs 35 pounds. And, I mean, to and be fair, that one, is the original X-Men. Outfit. I get it. But each one of her eyes appears to weigh 10 pounds each. They're gigantic. <laughs> the They're saucer. Issue. Saucer-like, yes. Nobody else has eyes this big. And I know he was trying to be like, she's young. She's innocent. Like, I get it. But really, man. <laughs> now, this is, I don't give a shit about the Nagari. I never have. They've tried to make me care several times about these dumb demons. <laughs> Whatever. But this is a fun issue. It has nothing to do with Christmas. I also picked up that classic X-Men. That's where I would have read this. I don't own this, and I, I did go back later and read a lot of these old X-Men issues. It is fun. It's a good time. On a holiday level, eh, <laughs> pretty weak. Okay, that's not what but we I'm do, giving it a buy. I know. I'm just saying, I okay. don't, I'm, but I'm going to talk about my comics as holiday comics and comics, you know? Well, because I said it's not a great holiday comic. Yeah, it's not a great holiday comic. It so, is a great comic, though. On that level, I don't know if you need to revisit this one for the holidays, but it's a buy. It's a good issue. Yeah. It is a. It is held up as kind of a famous single issue within I, the Claremont Burn Run. It's like this is a great. It's like that like the cover, fact that it's right? The, the fact that it's the Nagare or that it's the holidays that means nothing. It's just it, this is a fun kitty solo adventure where she's trapped in the house with a monster. But that cover so, is crazy. The trappings are irrelevant, too, right? I mean, like you can't deny that cover. It's super. It's a iconic. wonderful cover, yeah. And just like the just like the holiday story. There just happens to be a Christmas tree in the background. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. This next one is a little more holiday-centric, and it features a very grumpy Peter Parker, the spectacular Spider-Man. It's from Marvel, 1985. You can pick this one up for five to ten bucks near mint on Slab, but if you want a sexy CGC 9.6 version... You have to shell out at least 90. I'll tell you what. It's written by Peter David. Cover by Kyle Baker. And the cover was the reason I fell in love with this one back in the day. Art by Mark Beecham. Inks by Pat Redding. Colors by Nelson Yantov and George Roussos. Letters by Rick Parker. I talked about this one a little bit on our Patreon Extra last week, but it is one of my favorite holiday comics. So I'm doing it again here. So there you go, free kids. Sometimes not paying for shit pays off. Here is your setup. Wow. And I wrote this. It's Christmas Eve in NYC, but post-Venom black costume-wearing Peter has had a rough year, and coming fresh off the death of Captain Gene Wolf, he is not feeling the spirit of the season. Meanwhile, Robbie Robertson's son is bringing his white girlfriend home and doesn't know how to tell Dad, well, she's not black. The black cat is super horny for Spider-Man, as per usual, and a criminal dressed as Santa is asking kids for their addresses so he can deliver their presents on Christmas Eve. Kids, come on now. Santa knows your damn address. Figure this out. It just so happens one of those kids is the son of Bambi, Peter's next-door neighbor, who lives with Candy and one other scantily clad 80s hot chick. Peter, of course, busts the crooked Santa, but he escapes to the roof, where the real Santa convinces the thief to give up crime. There's a sweet ending where Pete and MJ have a Christmas dinner with Aunt May, and Peter realizes he has been a real Grinch this year. I picked up this comic at a very young age because the cover features Santa with a gun and Terminator shades. 
Terminator was very hot at the time. Marvel knew what they were doing, and so did Kyle Baker. And you'll find that I fall for this same gag again very shortly. The story is ridiculous, but David does a really nice job getting all the pieces in place for Spidey to find his Christmas spirit and sneak an appearance from Santa himself. The art is a little weird. (laughs) Beecham loves posing women, sticking their butts out. I counted 15 butt poses. (laughs) And there is a bizarre MJ bath scene, but... His black Spidey looks really solid. It's David's script that really makes this one fun. And a Spidey comic I love to revisit around the holidays. I'm giving this a buy it. So, yeah, I mean, this is, uh, it's fun. You know what? Yeah, it's a buy it. It's fun. Uh, Like, I like Peter David's Spectacular Spider-Man a great deal. And uh, this cover, uh, I agree, is something that like jumped out at me. <laughs> Kyle Baker, as man. A, as a kid. Yeah. Um, the art is bizarre. But I also have kind of a soft spot in my heart for these like weird little one-off issues of the Spider-Man titles that have these fill-in artists you've never heard of. Like there are a bunch of them from around this time. And they're just odd little outliers. But yeah, I mean, I'm not going to say that it <laughs> the art is good. I'm just saying, eh, you know... I have a soft spot for the for the underdog. I he, guess the black Mary cat. Jane, black he cat. loves yeah. to pose the black cat with her legs spread as wide as they can go. <laughs> oh man! And Santa's gun looking like the World Trade Center. Yeah. That's a whole choice. It's My a goodness. it's a thing. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. This is a bite. It's fun. It's weird. Yeah, <laughs> but well, I mean, whatever. There's some good Robbie Robertson drama going on here with like his oh yeah black son and, and dude, a white girlfriend. And at the time, that was well, a little risque, you know. But Marvel pushing that envelope. I dig it. Robbie probably uh, packs and relights that pipe about three times during that one scene. Well, you know. (laughs) He's stress smoking. Smoking like a chimney. He's stress smoking for the holidays. Next pick is a lot easier to track down than some of the others you might uh, hear about in this episode. It's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Leonardo Micro Series Number One from Mirage Comics, originally published in 1986. It was reprinted as a TMNT color classic from uh, by IDW in 2013. Uh, it's got story and art by Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird. Reprint colors are by Tom Smith's Scorpion Studios. Original cover price is $1.50. The reprint will set you back $3.99. Uh, current value on that original, about 60 bucks. Whereas the reprint, sticking right at four, baby. You're probably better off. Yeah. Here is your solicit, uh, courtesy of mycomicshop.com. Revisit this TMNT Mirage Classic in full glorious color. It's Christmas and Leonardo is on his own as he fights hordes of attacking Foot Clan across the rooftops of New York City. And if the surprise ambush isn't enough, just wait until Leo finds out who ordered it. This is the second micro-series issue that we've covered on the show. We talked about the first appearance of Casey Jones and the Raphael one-shot in episode 713. In this issue, Leonardo battles the Foot Clan over a couple of dozen pages in a silent ballet of snow and death. Meanwhile, the rest of his family prepares for their holiday feast in a single panel at the bottom of each page. And as things get worse for Leo in the panels above, the other turtles grow more and more concerned until the two branches of the story finally come together for a killer cliffhanger. This is so weird to me. The art is somehow brilliant and terrible at the same time. The figure drawing is almost an afterthought. I don't know who's responsible for this figure drawing. If it's, I think it's Eastman. But the storytelling is amazing. The silent battle is legitimately thrilling, building to an incredible cliffhanger the moment the villain is finally revealed. It's just such a great illustration of silent comics in action, the, the choreography of the fighting, the panel layouts, the way characters are posed. It's, it's really well done. That's kind of, that was kind of these guys jam though. Right. I mean like, yeah, look, the figure work was never the star. It was the action. And then you look at somebody outside of a, with no mask on. Right. And they've got like weird little. Yeah. Triangle 
dark triangle noses. They were like, more concerned with just this? the ninja action that was happening, and that's yeah. what's gonna sell. And it, the action kicks ass. That scene where yeah. Leonardo like leans, like puts a, he takes you know one of his swords and puts a flag on it and leans it out, and a bunch of knives fly by. Like that's great. Does he yeah. look great? No, <laughs> but that's not the point. The no, no, the, he does look great. <laughs> I mean, but he looks good. It's the but... regular people type stuff that they didn't really care about. It's very obvious. Whether you track down the original or read the color classics reprint, this Leonardo micro series one shot is another fantastic example of what made the TMNT such a smash hit in the mid eighties. I'm giving this a buy it as a holiday comic. Pretty good. Yeah, it's a solid holiday comic. They're decorating the Christmas tree the whole time, dancing around with April, and in the meantime, Leo's like full on ninja fight across New York, like the Warriors in the movie. snow, snowy rooftops. Yeah. yeah. Oh man, it's awesome, and like kicking the shit out of these ninjas. And it's like they know what you're here for. We're not here for a feel good Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles holiday comic. We do get that, but all your ninja action is here. I love this comic. Read it back in the day. This is one of the reasons I loved TMNT from a very young age because it's just that like hard edged action, but still they're a family and there and there's like sweetheart there as well. Leo's just too busy killing people to deal with it. So huge. Yeah, bite. like they don't really ever say why Leonardo. I don't even know if I. He was going through a thing. He was getting more violent at the and more serious than everybody else. At Leonardo this point. was. Yeah, right. he was going through a thing at this point. And like the other turtles were kind of trying to be. It's not addressed in this comic of what's no. going on with him though. No, but he's this, just out in the, he's just out yeah. for a stroll. This ties directly in. Cause like the next issue is, what is it? Number 10. It's like continued. TMNT in, number Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number 10. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's tied to the larger story as to what's going on. It's just, we, if you just read it by itself, it just sounds like Leo went out and fought some ninjas. <laughs> but there's a thing. Wait, and you, you know what? To be fair, I don't know his life. Yeah. There you go. That might be what he does. Don't you judge him. And now for our second comic book starring Santa with a gun on the cover. It's Iron Man, number 254. This is from Marvel, 1990. Unslabbed. It's going to run you about eight bucks. I found a... The, the first one way better, though. <laughs> well, come on now. The CGC 9.2 is the highest I could find. We haven't... We're yet to see what a 9.8 would go for. It'll cost you $26, which has got to be a brutal bummer because I think it's like 60 bucks to CGC a comic, right? <laughs> well, I don't know. I'm, I like I haven't CGC the comic in forever, but cheap. it used to be thirty bucks. I'll say that it's written and drawn by Bob Layton, colors by Paul Beckton, letters by Janice Chiang. Here is your. Uh, did I write this? Yes. Here is your setup. Continuing my Santa with a gun cover fetish. Twas the night before Christmas, and Tony Stark was still investigating the death of his ex, Whitney Frost, while planning the Stark Company Christmas party, which looks absolutely amazing. There's like a big dome with fake snow and an ice skating rink and ski jumps. But he is having the party on Christmas, which is kind of a dick move, Tony. <laughs> Meanwhile, the Taskmaster runs a group of students through some deadly training to decide who will be the new Spymaster... And when you become the spy master, you get these rad, powered-up electric nunchucks. We'll talk more about those Oh, yeah, later. I love the spy master. From there, all the student has to do to prove they deserve the new title is steal the star from the top of the Stark Enterprise's Christmas tree. I unabashedly love Layton's Iron Man and remember picking this issue up at a very young age and falling in love with the new spy master's power nunchucks. The story itself is a pretty silly, diehard kind of caper, but I love the Taskmaster training sessions. Leighton Stark was sort of still raging from the death of his ex at the hands of the mob, and the comic opens with, like, a pissed-off Iron Man wailing on gangsters. Of course, those gangsters have a giant robot, but Iron Man just, like, levels it with one well, shot. Well, because they're not just gangsters, they're the Magia. Right, right. That's, that's, that's the super-powered mafia. I suppose that's true. Yeah, they're the mafia that had giant robots, so. Yeah, Count Nefarious goons. Uh, so here's a, here's a little something to blow your mind. His ex is, um, his dead ex, Whitney Frost. Right. So he's after Madame Mask, who is the head of the Magia. Yeah. Spoiler alert. 
Whitney Frost is Madame Mask. Oh my God. <laughs> you got to be kidding me. Who could have seen that coming? I think Madame Mask might also be the hairdresser in this too, because their relationship is a little too weird. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you think every woman is Madame Mask, Matt? That, well, it, a lot of them in the Marvel Universe turn out to be. Okay. Can you argue with that statement? <laughs> I mean, I guess not. It happens a lot. Bob Layton does this thing. There's a reason why Bob Layton is my favorite Iron Man artist. Because he does this thing with Tony Stark's eyes behind the mask that nobody else really does. Everybody else kind of just had, you know, like light up eyes or whatever. Bob Layton would draw human eyes and Tony looks pissed as hell under that mask. Yeah, and the close-up scenes, you can see his eyes. Oh, it's great. And there's sort of a slight frown to the Iron Man mouth in this armor right now. I'm pretty sure Layton was the first guy to do that, but it makes Iron Man look tough as nails and super threatening. I love it. It's a fun holiday comic book. It's set Christmas Eve, right before Christmas. You know, Taskmaster doesn't celebrate. He's busy. I get it. He's a businessman. And I kind of love that he was like, yeah. I mean, it's right there in the name. Go fuck up Tony's Christmas party. Like, that's your mission. <laughs> well, whatever. I'm giving this a huge buy it. I think it's a fun holiday comic. Uh, yeah, I, I like it as well. I, I love the Bob. I also love the Bob Layton run of Iron Man. Oh, so good. Um, and the next issue is like Iron Wars 2, which really makes a fart It's noise. the return of John Romita Jr. Yeah. to the to ongoing art after many years away. Love me, J.R. Jr., uh, but Iron Wars 2, oof, fart noise. Well, oof. No. Yeah, yeah, Iron Wars, Iron, Iron Wars 2, not great. The art in this is fantastic, even though um, Bob Layton... And his um, collaborator around the same time, uh, Mark Bright, who we have talked about before on the show, they are criminal. Oh, yeah. And it comes to the hairdos of yeah. everybody in these comics. Of, so uh, we talked about this a little bit on Discord. Here we get a good look of Tony when he had the mullet. Tony was also rocking a perm. And like, yeah. I put up a poll. Who rocked the mullet better, Superman or Tony? I'm of Superman. the mindset... Tony rocked it you better. You are the only person that's voted Tony. People don't talk shit about Tony Stark's mullet. I've never that's heard because nobody talks about it at all. I've never heard anybody talk shit about it. Everyone are agrees. You kidding? The super mullet. You agreed when Superman showed up with the mullet for no reason. First of all, it was egregious. Second, it was perverted. Third, gross and only done because it was the nineties. Fourth, we were glad it went away. Nobody is upset at all that one Tony had a perm. Two. He had a mullet perm. You know what? You look pretty good. Yeah, Matt, people are, people are upset. It's a terrible hairstyle. I, think I he looks, literally I think he looks good here. just bad-mouthing it. I think he's got some oats from Hall & Oats shit going on here, and I dig it, personally. So, uh, Well, I think you're all hopped up on goofballs, but I do agree that he's, uh, very, he's very much feeling his, his, uh, his oats right now. He went to his hairdresser like and was like, fix my perm. <laughs> She's like, yeah. yeah, Tony, you look great. Yeah. Uh, this is a buy it. It's great. I love the spy master. I love the task master. I love the spy master What's too. not to like about this? Yeah. Uh, the cover, not nearly as good as the Kyle Baker, uh, cover, but no, it is what it is. I also think the task master is best used in situations like this, where it's like, I'm training peeps to do stuff because I'm so good at it. Because if you just like send the task master after people and they constantly kick his ass, how good at this stuff is he really, <laughs> you know? But if he's training people and he's like in the back, then we can be like, he's so badass. He's just a businessman. He doesn't have to do this, you know? When Cap beats the shit out of him, you're like, oh, are you that good? I don't know. Well, Matt brought up the super mullet, and my next pick is a Superman book from the 90s, but it is about a year prior to the first appearance of said mullet. It's Superman Volume 2, number 64. This is from DC Comics 1982. Pardon me, 1992 was the year. Uh, that, so this is the very beginning of 1992. Uh, death of Superman happened at the end. So we are about nine issues away from the death of Superman. So here. Superman is not selling right now is what you're telling me. Uh, yeah, that's about the <laughs> long and short of it. That yeah. makes a lot of sense. <laughs> this is written by Dan Jurgens with art by Jackson Geis, colors by Glenn Whitmore, letters by John Costanza with a cover by Dan Jurgens. It's got a cover price of a dollar current value, three bucks, not too shabby. That's the reason why. <laughs> <laughs> 
And here's your solicit, courtesy of MyComicShop.com. In this special Christmas issue, Superman spends the night reading letters from around the world asking for his help. Though the last son of Krypton can bend steel with his bare hands, change the course of mighty rivers, and leap tall buildings in a single bound, there are still some things even a Superman can't do. Get the tissues ready. This one pulls at the heartstrings. <laughs> okay. I always loved the idea that Superman spends one night during the holidays reading all the letters sent to him through the year and answering as many as possible. But the execution is a lot less fun than the premise. The tone of this issue is just dour. It's full of Holocaust survivors and dead dads. And while I understand that the point is that Superman can't fix everything, the dude complains the entire time. Future Action Comics penciler Jackson Butch Geis fills in on this issue's art duties, and he makes a lot of really weird choices. Lois Lane is dressed like Debbie Gibson circa 1986. Some scenes meant to be somber are instead shaded like horror movies, with Superman reading about a little boy's sick daddy while peering out of the sinister darkness. It's it's bizarre. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> In the end, Superman does con his rich friend into buying out a department store's entire stock of toys on, you know, I presume one of the days immediately prior to Christmas. Dick move. And then he throws them at a bunch of poor kids standing on the roof of a skyscraper, so Christmas is saved. Superman 64 features an idea I've always loved in theory in a story I kind of wish I'd never actually read. <laughs> Um, I'm going to, you know what? I'm going to give it a leave it. This is a hard leave it. it. I was going to yell at you because you've got a skim it written here. I'm like, no, Joe, (laughs) no, (laughs) this comic sucks. This comic reads like Dan Jurgens is going through a thing and taking it out on Superman. That scene where he's reading the letter from the kid. It's literally black background, heavy blacks on Superman quote. He, this is Superman reading it out loud. By the way, my dad is a brain tumor. Doctors say they can't do anything to save him, but you can, right? I heard that you can do anything, even do a brain operation to get out of tumor. Like the next scene should have been Superman putting the letter down and firing his heat ray vision in the mirror and burning his own head off. <laughs> you know, just like, oh <laughs> my God. And look, you said Geist made some weird choices. I'm saying this is some of the worst Geist art I've ever seen. It's bizarre. And I don't know if there's a lot of really weird inking, but there's like not just that heavy black scene. There's scenes of him standing from the hospital where he should be illuminated, but his face is completely blacked out. It's so weird. Yeah. I mean, he inked himself. So presumably he knew what he was doing, but he didn't do a very good job. I hope he hate drew this because he didn't like the script. I'm giving this a leave it. This is just like, Man, there's a way to do this, you know? Like, a lot of people are having a tough time during the holidays. Superman understands that. And he's going to do his best to do what he can to, to lift their spirits a little bit. But instead, it's just like, oh, I can't do anything about it. <laughs> Great. Thanks, Superman. See you next Pretty Christmas. <laughs> no, thanks. Leave it. We're going to take a break from Christmas to talk about Batman, the long Halloween number four. It's from DC 1997. You can pick this one up for about 14 to 25 bucks on slabbed in near mint 9.8 condition. It's going to run you 255 bucks. I wouldn't be surprised. If it goes for more than that. Sometimes this is written by Jeff Loeb cover and art by Tim sale colors by Gregory white with letters by Richard Starkings and comic craft. Here's your setup. The long Halloween saw Batman tracking a mysterious killer who's been killing members of Gotham's biggest crime families on every holiday for one year. In chapter four, the Joker is jealous of everyone paying attention to the wrong killer. So on New Year's Eve, he's going to remind Gotham who their original homicidal maniac is by killing everyone in Gotham Square at midnight. (laughs) Now, it's a plan to stop holiday, too, because they'll probably be there, right? So, like, you can see the Joker working, you know? (laughs) This was one of the more action-packed issues 
of the long Halloween. Loeb's story follows Batman as he's trying to stop the Joker who has stolen a plane to drop poisonous gas on Gotham's biggest New Year's Eve party in an attempt, like I mentioned, to maybe kill the holiday killer too. Sales, the Joker kind of sees this as a team up, by the way. <laughs> Sales Batman is shaded in heavy blacks with thick inks, and it makes for an amazing, iconic look. There's a two-page spread of Batman staring the Joker in the face upside down on the plane that I would absolutely kill for. There's this amazing black and white sequence, too, with fluffy snow falling as we see another mob family member killed. Every holiday murder is done in that style, that black and white kind of silent style. Yeah, it's a motif they do through the entire story. It's awesome. The story jumps from the action to Harvey Dent and Jim Gordon spending New Year's Eve together with their wives. But of course, they can't stop working and they're worried about the holiday case and the new info that links Bruce Wayne to one of the crime families that Holiday has been preying on. It's a pretty classic Batman story otherwise. Batman versus the Joker with with the holiday mystery in the background. And this creative team does a perfect job balancing the superhero action and crime noir aspects. And of course, Batman rings in the new year by saving everyone in Gotham Square at the stroke of midnight. I mean, come on. Can't ask for more than that. I'm giving this a huge buy it. Minus the holiday killer stuff. This could have been an episode of the animated series. This, yeah, this could have been you know, a, a Silver Age Batman story. Yeah, it's it's just, it's timeless, really. And um, it's a great holiday comic uh, because the whole, like, Stroke of Midnight, you know, ball drop. Yeah, they and they uh, do the countdown. Part of the, of the plot is central to Joker's crime. Yeah, do the countdown's happening. Like, is Batman going to stop him? Ah! <laughs> you know? And, um, you know, if you've read The Long Halloween before, uh, this is a fun issue. Uh, if you haven't, there's a lot of interesting clues dropped about the potential clues. I won't say that they're actual clues, but there there are some hints uh, dropped in this issue about about the killer, uh, and it's all great fun. It, uh, Long Halloween is absolutely one of my favorite Batman stories of all time. This is a great issue. I miss Tim Sale so much. I do too. This is a huge buy. Man, I miss Tim Sale. I specifically miss Tim Sale's Batman. No one does Batman like Tim Sale. Oh my God. Love it. Nobody did anything like Tim Sale. True. That very same year, DC would release one of my favorite holiday comics, Starman Volume 2, number 27. It's written by James Robinson with pencils by Steve Yowell, inks by Wade Von Graubadger, colors by Pat Garrahy, Letters by Bill Oakley, cover by Tony Harris, cover price two twenty five, current value about three bucks. Here's your solicit. This one is, I believe, also courtesy of mycomicshop.com. Thank you guys. It's the Christmas season, and the O'Dares are hosting a holiday dinner. Many familiar faces appear, but a wayward Santa Claus delays Jack Knight's attendance in this standalone holiday issue. Reluctant hero Jack Knight isn't quite so reluctant at this point in the series, and his superheroics bring him into contact with a down-on-his-luck homeless man that happens to bear a striking resemblance to Santa Claus. As the issue progresses, the extended Starman cast gathers at the home of Clarence and Faith O'Dare for Christmas dinner. James Robinson touches on the lives of every character, giving the reader a sense of things that have been happening in recent issues, as well as spotlighting and strengthening the bonds between the characters. Steve Yowell is the quintessential 90s British cartoonist. His work is equally at home here as it is in the pages of something like Grant Morrison's The Invisibles. I will admit that the last time Matt and I encountered his work in Scroll Kill Crew number one, <laughs> we were less than enthused. But I'm a fan for the most part. I, I especially love Steve Yowell's DC work and his like Vertigo adjacent stuff. The issue ends as you would expect, but as with the best holiday specials, knowing the ending doesn't take away from your enjoyment. It's packed with character. It's packed with heart. Starman 27 is a perfect example of what made the series so wonderful, and it's a great holiday story to boot. I'm giving this a huge buy it. It's a perfect holiday story. It's just a perfect holiday story. And any other writer would have made this homeless guy the actual Santa, and it would have ruined the entire story. 
The fact yeah, he's that, just a guy. The fact that he's just a homeless vet, you know, that's like down on his luck and ah, uh, uh, kills me. Kills me. The only reason it. he's dressed as Santa is because he had to steal clothes. Yeah, it's great. Absolutely great. I don't love Stevie Hell's heart here. I just, I mean, I, that's, I, I just that's don't fine. love it. It's kind of weird and wacky in times, but the story is so goddamn good. And I think that's one of the things that turned some people that I knew off to Starman was the fact that like, look, the writing is what we're here for. You got to come for the writing because a lot of times when it wasn't Tony Harris doing it, the art was, you know, <laughs> not the best. It was just, it was sort of vertigo-ish, you know? Like, don't worry about the art. We're here for the story. It's a fantastic story, though. I love this issue. I love where Robinson takes it. Huge play. I'm going to finish up with a new holiday special that we missed a couple weeks ago. And I want to talk about because I read one of these every year. This is a Hellboy winter special. The Yule Cat from Dark Horse. It's 32 pages. It's probably still cover price, but I'm sure you can find some jerks on eBay selling it for way more. This came out on December 6th, a couple weeks ago. Written and drawn by Matthew Smith. Colors by Chris O'Hanlon with letters by Clem Robbins. Here's your solicit. Hellboy travels to Reykjavik, where children are disappearing and a giant beast has been spotted. Could it be the infamous Yule Cat of Icelandic lore? Fan favorite Hellboy artist Matt Smith writes and draws this chilling wintry one-shot. Like it says, Matt Smith gets double duty here and slides into the job of writing Hellboy so well that I thought for sure Magnola was co-writing, but he's only listed as creator here. The Hellboy winter specials have become a yearly tradition I look forward to every holiday season, and this one does not disappoint. In fact, it's more action-packed than most of the creepy winter tales I've come to expect from these Hellboy winter specials. Smith's art isn't trying to copy Mignola, but captures his spirit in the framing, the talking birds, creepy trolls with solid-colored eyes, and of course, big stone hands punching monsters. If you have been a fan of Magnola's Hellboy work, you're going to feel perfectly at home with Smith here at the helm. I'm giving this a huge buy it. Just did exactly what it was supposed to do. I think the highest compliment I can pay it is that Matt Smith feels natural. He's doing the writing job. Writing and drawing this. Yeah. Like there's nothing about this that feels off because it's not Mike Magnola. No. You know? No. It's a it's a wonderful Hellboy story. It's full of fun, those fun kind of like um, irreverent almost Hellboy moments where Hellboy finds himself face to face with this situation where there's a strange woman or or being in front of him, and he's like, "Uh, oh, hey, did you lose a cat?" And then he goes, "Oh, oh wait a minute." Are you the cat? <laughs> you know, it's just like Hellboy's well, just he kn- kind of like he a- knows the rules. Like he's like, all yeah. right, there's weird shit going on, you know. <laughs> and there's a nice tie-in to like the Hellboy Thor stuff, where he had Mjolnir for a minute and shit like that. Yeah, you know, yeah. Like, it's fun. It's super fun. And, and Smith just seems to have. It's like a, it's like a really good backup quarterback who studied studied under a great quarterback for a few seasons, knows the system. That quarterback retires or gets hurt or whatever, and the backup comes in. And guess what? They do it a little different, but they've got the system, and they're and they're winning. They're doing it, you know. Right. That, that's a long wind. You're a huge football way of guy. Saying that he yeah, does a so great I, job. I know you understand how football <laughs> works, so you get it. <laughs> yeah, I did understand that reference, but thank you for condescending to me. Yes. Um, <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I agree. Matt Smith is great at this. He's a great fit for the Magnola verse. Yeah. This is a wonderful holiday issue. The the latest in a long line of uh, Hellboy winter specials. It's a buy it for me. Yeah, absolutely charming. Wonderful. Give, give Matt Smith Hellboy. I'm fine with it. Give it to him. Well, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of arguments to be made, but like Hellboy as an ongoing concern is over. So all that's left is stuff like this, which is. You well, know, period pieces. But you can do that with Hellboy. There's nothing about Hellboy that I need told in like 2023. Like, I don't need to be like Hellboy, like worried about the election next year. Like, I don't need that shit. <laughs> you know, Hellboy is timeless. Right? <laughs> I do. I want to know if Hellboy's a Biden man. Yeah, I'm sure he's, he's a big Jill Stein supporter. So. He's a, yeah.
Well, good news. The Cosmic Longbox approves of our holiday comic gifts, but before it stops Krampus from cramming us in his bag with the other naughty children, we have to name one of these comics to enter the THN Permanent Collection and which of these heroes you'd like to spend your holidays with, Matt Bomb. I'm going to go in reverse order. If I'm spending my holidays with a hero, Iron Man. That guy knows how to party. He's got money. (laughs) Batman is one dour son of a bitch. Don't get me wrong. I love Jack Knight. He seems like a sweet guy. But like, look, I can do that at home. That just seems like normal family stuff, right? I want to hang out with Iron Man. Yeah, but better than your family. Better than my family. Uh, I mean, I I don't know. My family's pretty sweet. Nah, better than... Similar? I don't know. (laughs) Better than your family. Yeah, my dad brings a homeless guy every year. It's really weird, you know, but we just deal with it. It's fine. (laughs) If I'm picking one comic, it's got to be the Starman that that Starman issue is just perfectly executed. It happens yeah. during the holidays. The holidays are not an afterthought. The holidays are not a tacked on ridiculous thing that happens. As much as I love the Spider-Man thing, look, Santa actually shows up. Okay? <laughs> you know? It's got to be that Starman issue. It's just handled perfectly. It's a great yeah, holiday I, issue. I agree. And I like I, I think that it kind of goes without saying that the Hellboy issue is exempt from this because it's all it's brand new. Um I don't but think, I mean, if it was that good, I no, would have picked it. No, no, no. If it was that no, good, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have been able to fight it. And I liked it. I just don't think you would have been able to fight it. It's I don't not think a back issue. Good. It doesn't go in the cosmic long As box. that Starman. I mean, it's back issue now. It's been out for two weeks, Joe. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> it's only a new comic uh, for one week, baby. Then into the bins with you. The answer to both is is Starman and uh, the O'Dare family because of course that's it's a Rockwellian scene, yeah. but with guys that happen to be superheroes and also the reincarnation of Western immortal Western gunfighters sure. and all kinds of weird stuff. Aren't they tied you know? to the Hawk people somehow too? Um, yeah, no, no. Didn't they serve? No. Or was it like Hawkman was a sheriff and they worked for him, like in a different life or something like that? It was like, I remember some Western thing with the O'Dares that had something to do with Hawkman. Uh, I don't, I, I don't, don't remember. Lay that, it on us. Maybe I'm making this up. Lay it on us. I don't know. I, I think that the, uh, I think that the Western incarnation of Hawkman and Heartgirl is separate from Scalp Hunter. That could who be. Who was a, yeah. That could be. But anyway, I love the O'Dares. So yeah, I want to hang out with them. With our drunken holiday bacchanalia behind us, it's time to get back to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum to look at the forecast for next week's comics. There might only be one week left in the year, but it's a big one. Ram V wraps up his Batman Outlaw story, Detective 1080. Marvel previews 2024 with Timeless number one. And is that Maestro on the cover? And is that Tony Stark as the damn Moon Knight? <laughs> like, what is going on there? James Tinney in the Four gives Something is Killing the Children fans a Book of Butcher one-shot. And Valiant proves they are still a comic book publisher by putting out not one, but two comics. With Exo Manowar on Conquered number four squeaking into the tail end of the year only six months late and a new 48-page Ninjak book for $9.99. Joe Patrick, are any of these comics your must-read pick for Wednesday, December 27th, the final new comic day of 2023? So I guess, yeah, my pick for next week is Timeless 2023 edition number one. It's from Marvel. It's written and drawn by Various. It's 56 pages for $6.99. That's cheaper than $9.99 for $48. I'm just throwing that out there. Well, yeah, that's true. Here's your solicit. Behold the future of the Marvel Universe, featuring the debut of two new Marvel icons. In a devastating future born from the choices of today, all of time and space is threatened by the ascension of an ancient evil. The Moon Knight unending has risen. Okay, so it's Moon Knight in A nightmare Iron Man born armor. of Stark Tech. <laughs> there you go. The Eternal Machine and the God of the Moon. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, boy. But no, that's not Maestro, Matt. Now all of Earth bows before his overwhelming power, but one man stands against Conchu's coming tide of chaos. Power Man! Sure looks like Maestro. He's all green. It's Power Man. He's not green. The Marvel Universe's final living superhero. But who is Power Man, and how did he come to wield the unstable powers of the Sentry, the Hulk, and the Iron Fist? That's why he looks like the Maestro. (laughs) 
Except he's not the maestro. He's bald. The maestro's I, got hair. I agree. I said, is that the maestro? <laughs> is what I and said. I'm telling you, no, it's Power Man. What dark, deeply personal conflict underpins this mind-bending apocalypse? And at the end of the line, can the Marvel Universe ever truly be saved? Plus a shocking glimpse into the next year of Marvel stories. Look, I'm a sucker for this dumb shit. It's almost never good, but we but we do we it are. every year. Now it now it's like a thing where we have to do it and be like, what the hell? Why is Nightcrawler dressed Te- as Spider Man? <laughs> Tease me, Marvel. <laughs> Tease me. I'm here for it. Power Power Man is the last living superhero. Note that he didn't say Luke Cage. They said Power Man. They said so Power it's Man. probably not Luke. Could be the other one. But yeah, I we'll don't know. see. We'll see. Do they do this with Kang again? Time traveling, showing us stuff, or, or are, um, we, are we over Kang? Well, they haven't. Is Kang? <laughs> I don't think that they've all. I don't know that they've all. Yeah, been time was the first two had Kang sort of being like, "These are the visions of the Marvel universe," and blah blah blah, or whatever you know. Like, to be fair, I don't remember anything about either one of the previous. To two, be fair, so. they weren't exactly memorable, but you know. Yeah, my pick for next week is Duke number one. It's forty pages for four ninety nine. From Image Skybound, it's written by Joshua Williamson with art by Tom Riley. Here is your solicit. Codename G.I. Joe starts here! Yo, Joe! Conrad Hauser has made first contact with an alien being and lived to tell the tale. That was in Transformers number two, for those of you keeping track. But no one, not even Colonel Hawk, believes the story of the jet fighter converting into a colossal alien robot that nearly killed the man known as Duke. Now... One of the U.S. Army's most decorated soldiers is on the hunt for answers drawn into conflict that no amount of training could ever prepare him for, a war that only a real American hero has any chance of surviving. Superstar writer Joshua Williamson, who worked on Superman, Batman, and everything else at DC, and artist Tom Riley, who worked on The Thing and Ant-Man, and a lot of other stuff that he's great at, kick off the first of four action-packed miniseries that will introduce the best and worst humanity has to offer in the Energon universe. G.I. Joe, it's all happening. You got me with Transformers. I'm on board. If you're not paying attention, Optimus Prime ripped his damn arm off and beat a Decepticon to near death with it last issue, and it was amazing, okay? Now, you could make an argument that Joshua Williamson maybe isn't as ballsy as Daniel Warren Johnston, but I trust Williamson, and I think at its core, G.I. Joe should be a superhero book. And Josh Williamson writes great superheroes. So I'm on board. I'm excited. Now, I know we got a preview of this a while ago that we couldn't talk about because there was, you know, uh, rules in place or whatever. I am not ready yet. So I'm going to wait, and I'm going to freak out. It's going to be great. I read it, and I freaked out. All right. You loved it. Okay. Spoiler alert. THN trade for next week goes to Spy vs. Spy by Proyas. It's an omnibus hardcover. This is a big, sexy, 400-page, $75 hardcover omnibus. Here's your solicit. Since the 1960s, Spy vs. Spy has been one of the most popular features in Mad Magazine, the diabolical duo of double crosses and deceit, one in black and the other in white, have continued to one-up each other till death do them part. Now, their complete original exploits are collected in hardcover. Don't miss a moment of the action. Look, I got buddies that love Mad Magazine. I never particularly thought it was funny, except... I read it for Spy vs. Spy because those comics were awesome. And as simple as they are, Antonio Proyas, or Proyas, I don't know if I'm saying that right, is a genius, absolute genius, and did so much with so very little. And this is just going to look rad on your shelf. Everybody loves an omnibus, right? Except for Joe. He's a big baby, though. Well, that's your forecast, so you're prepared for next week's comics. And how about this Weather Channel music? I think we're going to start doing this. This is fun. Be sure to pre-order our picks. If you want to read along with us, check out our Discord new comics channel to discuss all the new stuff you're reading and tune into our new comic show to hear our reviews of these picks. Excelsior! Oh. That is it for THN 725. Next week, you are cordially invited to the 13th annual THN Golden Beppo Awards, where we celebrate excellence in comic books for the year 2023. There is a dress code, so don't show up in your damn t-shirt, all right? Suits, ties, you're going to be on TV, people. This is important. 
In the meantime, uh, however, tuxedo t-shirts are allowed. Absolutely not. Do not listen to Joe Patrick. There will be security. If you can't get enough of that award-winning THN stuff, join us for the THN Cover to Cover Gang Hang. We do it on Saturdays at 11 o'clock Central. You can go to our Discord to get more details. Joe Patrick, what else can they do at our Discord? We always love to see your new comics haul every week, or perhaps you want to discuss just how many pop culture properties Zack Snyder is ripping off in Rebel Moon. The answer is all maybe of you, them, apparently. All of them, yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe you want to wish Kang good luck and uh, and happy trails on his next venture. Not you, Majors, you piece of crap. Or maybe you just want to discuss our question of the week, which ties in nicely with our holiday show. What holiday-themed media do you love to revisit this time of year? Comics, movies, music. Yeah, you do it yeah, any, any, any media. It doesn't even really have to be holiday-themed media. It just has to be media that you revisit during the holidays. And by the way, we can still love Kang. Kang, not an abuser. You can say... Okay, we don't really need to do this. He's a maniacal time-traveler like, psychopath he's... that has caused the Avengers a lot of headaches. But John of the Majors is a different really piece of shit. We need to be making jokes about this right so. now. Uh, please do keep your question of the week suggestions coming and sign up for our Discord with the link at twoheadednerd.com slash Discord. Once you get in, you can post about any of our segments there or send an MP3 submission for the comic pushers or for Ask a Nerd or whatever to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. And hey, we'll put you on the show. We ain't scared of you. If you're new to the show and you wish the producers would make a quick switch to Dr. Doom as the host, I assure you it's only because you haven't heard enough. The good news is, you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital longbox archive at TwoHeadedNerd.com. THN is a listener-supported podcast. It would not be possible without the generosity of donors like our old pal and newest patron, Max Riffner. Ladies and gentlemen, we owe this man money because he has solved so many website problems for us <laughs> that I cannot well, believe he is giving us money. That is upsetting. It's literally well, upsetting. <laughs> we're, we're giving money to his Patreon as well, so it's like mutually assured destruction. Oh, okay. So it's like the uh, elephant walk or whatever, right? Got it. <laughs> yeah, all, something like we're that. We're all jerking yeah. each other off. I get it. If you like what you hear every week, it's easy to support the show. You can sign up to be a patron at patreon.com backslash... Two-headed nerd. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to Century co-creator Paul Jenkins. Just yesterday, writer Mark Wade posted a fundraiser for Jenkins, who is in dire straits due to a long-running legal battle with a financial predator that is well-known in the comics industry. Now, you can find Wade's post or any other post online to read up on those details, but if you find yourself able to do so this holiday season, please consider helping Paul get through this tough time. We didn't have any idea this was going on. Apparently, it's been going on a really long time, and he is in a bad way. Word to you, Mr. Jenkins. Here's hoping that you're able to have a happy holiday. Yeah, man. This is, I will fuck somebody up for Paul Jenkins. And look, that said, I'm about 40-60 on Paul Jenkins, but not because he's a bad guy, okay? <laughs> you didn't really need to say any of that. That's That really kind of takes away from your Until message. Until next time, true believers. I mean, he's work, you know, whatever. But come on. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer. Might just switch gears and swap you out with a different customer. This is the Two-Headed Nerd, wishing you the happiest of holidays and signing off.